Amen. Well, thank you, Chris, for leading us in worship. I just got to say, like, uh, are you thankful that we have a really deep bench of people that are able to do that and getting up and helping us lead? And not only that, but guys that are just fired up about the glory of Jesus, I'm really thankful for that. Uh, the, in fact, um, this morning, I just have to tell you this, this morning our kids uh, were, were like, uh, playing wor- church, they were playing worship, and they were fighting. That they they had their like fake guitars out, and they were fighting over who got to be Ryan Dennis uh, in 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 the house. But so, and I was having like, okay, let's just worship Jesus, okay? Let's not. We we probably shouldn't be arguing about these things. But I am really thankful for our worship team in that, and we get to keep worshiping. We don't we don't stop that, but we do that by opening up His Word. So why don't you grab your Bibles and go with me to the Book of Titus? We're going to be in Titus chapter two uh, tonight. Titus chapter two. We're actually going to be. Finishing up uh, chapter 2 as we're studying through this letter from Paul to uh, Titus. And, and one, of the, one of the major themes of this letter, and I hope that you're picking up on this, it actually matters how you live. Paul is actually really concerned about all of these churches on the island of Crete where he sent Titus down here because he knows that these believers are living in a really ungodly culture. It's actually kind of hard to live for Jesus and be a Christian here, but he wants them to, to stand out and be different. And what we've noticed as we've studied through this letter is that it starts all the way at the top. He wants to make sure that we've got these elders that are living above reproach, setting an example for all of the church. But then as we saw last week, it goes through everybody. It's the uh, older men, older women, younger women, younger men. It's like everybody, everybody living in light of the gospel. And what happens when everybody's doing that, uh, believers actually become this gospel-shaped community, and, and you've got a healthy, growing church. And, and that's the goal. That's the vision. But, but, but here's the reality. Um, I know like we're supposed to live a certain way, right? But you have to learn how you're supposed to live. And the big idea this morning, I want to, like, or tonight, and I want to I show you here in, in Titus chapter 2 is this. The gospel teaches us how God wants us to live and why. That's really important that we're going to see that. But the gospel is the thing that's going to teach us this because nobody just like, like comes by these things naturally. They actually have to be taught. They have to be learned. So, so I want to tell you a story about a, 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 one of the little girls in our church that, that uh, the Hohen Shells are just a really, really big fan of, uh, uh, Elizabeth Cabana. Uh, is she back there? Like, is she, is she awesome? I'm glad she's here. Uh, so uh, Elizabeth, isn't she cute? I love it. Uh, so we, we, we had her over. Josh and Kelly, they're, they're just a lot of fun to watch the way that God is working in their lives. And, and, and we love seeing Elizabeth visit. Sometimes she comes over and visits our house. The other day, a few weeks ago, uh, she was visiting with her mom. And uh, while we're kind of like standing around, kids are all talking, playing with her, she decided she was going to start climbing the stairs in our house. And of course, Kelly had one of those moments where, you know, just like a mom, right? It was, it was perfect. And she had that little mom tone. She just kind of looked at her and said, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth just like stopped dead in her tracks right there. Her eyes got really big. She pointed at the stairs and said, danger. <laughs> I, I love it when little people start expanding the, their vocabulary, right? It's like the cutest thing in the world. But, but I thought like, man, she's, she's learning how to use her words, but she understands why. And she's using them uh, appropriately because she's had some really good teachers. Her parents are kind of helping her understand like playing on the stairs means Danger. Well, well, the gospel is going to do that for us tonight. 
The, the gospel is going to help us know what's okay and what's not okay for us. And it's actually going to teach us how to use our words. And anybody excited to learn how to use your words tonight? We're going to learn how to use our words. Specifically, the gospel is going to teach us how to say no and how to say yes and how to say come and how to say thank you and how to say let's go. Y'all ready for that? All right, let's get into it. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Let's finish out the chapter here. Paul says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Watch this. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. That, 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 that verse 15 is basically saying like, Titus, this is your charge. These are the things that you got to preach. The, the people need to know this because the gospel is going to teach them. Okay, so, so let me give you those five things that the gospel teaches us to say. The first is this. The gospel teaches us to say no. All right, I'm going to need a little participation. Like we're we're going to learn how to use our words, all right? You all ready for this? Everybody say No. All right, we're getting it. Here's where we see it in verse 11. It says, the grace of God has appeared, uh, but, but then verse 12, here's the, here's the reason. Here's what the grace of God is actually doing. It is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That, that word renounce means to, to refuse or, or, or to restrain. Actually, in the NIV, I love the translation of the NIV right here because it says it, it teaches us to say no. Believers who understand grace look at sin and say, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not going there. I, I don't want that. And anybody who's ever been on a diet knows how incredibly difficult it is to use that word, right? To say no when everything in you just wants to say yes to more Chick-fil-A and more donuts and, 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 and bring on the chocolate and the ice cream. Oh, man, that's, uh, that's my weakness right there. Carissa's actually helping me with this, uh, you know, realizing I'm not getting any younger and I need to be a little bit more careful with the things that I'm uh, shoving into my body. So uh, she's been kind of teaching me a little bit. Apparently, I am not allowed to eat while I'm standing up. And I'm also not allowed to eat alone because apparently I can't be I trusted, which actually makes sense to me. Uh, but for sometimes, I'm just, I'm just being honest, sometimes the temptation is so strong, you know what I'm talking about? Where, where you get hangry and it's like, stay out of my way, I just want more food. I'm going to confess something to you. I had to confess this to my wife, this happened a few weeks ago. I, um, I knew I wasn't allowed, I was not supposed to eat all by myself, right, not, not supposed to do that, and we'd actually had, I, I had dinner with the family, we ate together, but then I was still hungry and I wanted like something else. And, and so I snuck into the kitchen, nobody's watching, like making sure that the kids are all there out playing and causing chaos and distracting my wife, which was really awesome. And uh, while, while they're distracting her, I, I snuck into the refrigerator and, and took out a couple of slices of deli meat and just threw it down as fast as I possibly could before somebody's going to, and I felt super guilty about that, I'm not going to lie. And to the point where I was like, oh my goodness, I, gotta, like, I had to go confess to my wife that I was sneaking a couple of slices of deli meat. 
And I know some of you are like, the shame, right? Like, can't believe you would do that. Well, I know that some of you would do this too, okay? Okay, maybe deli meat may not be your thing, but all of us struggle at times with, with, with the temptation and, and saying no to sin, which is why I think, look at verse 12 again. I think this, he's using the word uh, training us. Because that word has the sense of, of discipline or correcting, as if something's not right. Something's wrong here, and it actually needs to be fixed. The reality is, something's not right in my heart. And it's the grace of God that's training me because it reminds me that I don't ever deserve God's grace and God's favor. But, but, but he doesn't love me because of my performance. He loves me in spite of myself and, and my actions and my poor performance. And, and, and he doesn't change his mind about me when I fail. Praise God. But the reason that I fail, and this is important that we are self-aware enough to understand this. The reason that I fail is because my heart is prone to sin. Like, I, I want it. We've, we've used this illustration before uh, a lot around here that, that we say that our hearts are kind of like a stupid shopping cart. Remember that? Like, the, you, you know, like, sometimes you'll know when you get a stupid shopping cart where, where they all look the same. When, when you're at the grocery store at first. And then you pick one out and you don't realize it until about halfway down the, the aisle and you realize this is the one that just doesn't want to go straight. Does this ever happen to anybody else? You know what I'm talking about? And it just wants to go, uh, it wants to veer off and smash into the cereal and the whole time you're like fighting this thing to just go straight. That's my heart. Left to myself, it needs to be trained. It needs to be disciplined by God's grace because I just want to go my own way. I want to veer off and I, I, like my heart just wants to go the wrong way into sin. So our hearts have a hard time saying no. But here's what he tells us. Look, look, look what he tells us to say no to. He says, I want you to renounce or say no to ungodliness. Those are, those are actions that are just not like Christ. And Paul's thinking about the believers here in the island of Crete. They're in a similar culture like ours. There's just so much ungodliness in the culture, which is why he was so concerned that they would be different, that they'd be living above reproach, that their lives are going to be impacted and shaped by the gospel so that their actions match the message that they're sharing with everybody else. They're going to reflect Jesus. But, but notice it's not just um, actions. It also, verse 12, they're, they're to renounce uh, ungodliness and worldly passions. So it's the desires. It's what they want. The problem is not that I, uh, that I act on it. I act on it because I want it. I crave it. All of my ungodly actions stem from ungodly or worldly passions. It's these desires. It's, it's lust. It's basically saying, like, I want this. And quite honestly, I want it more than I want God. And I want it now. And so we chase after the things that we want. And, and left unchecked, our hearts are like these stupid shopping carts that are just always going to steer off course, like crashing into things because we're, we're running after something else more than we want Christ. But when you recognize, when, when you start to see this is happening in your heart, like I, I think, like I really want this, I would, especially if you're willing to sin to get it, um, 
Those are those kind of indications that I need to make sure that if I have these sinful desires, I'm saying no. No. I'm not going to act on the impulse to lie just to make myself look better, exaggerate the truth just a little bit, or try to escape consequences or looking bad and avoiding getting into trouble. I'm not going to look at that woman. I'm not going to click on that picture just to satisfy my, my lust here. I'm not, I'm not going to just get irritated. I'm not, I'm not going to blow up when, when I don't get my way and, and, and when I just really want control. I'm kind of getting frustrated here. I'm, I'm not going to respond that way. And I'm not, I'm not going to gossip behind somebody's back. I'm not going to, like, I want somebody else to, like, think the same negative thoughts about this person. And so I'm just going to, like, maybe I'll say it as a prayer request, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to be putting them down and trying to make them look bad. And I'm also not going to ignore it. Like, when, when God is asking me to do something and I don't really want to do it because I don't, I don't, I'm afraid or I'm not really sure that I can trust him, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm saying no. I'm not going to sneak around just to get a couple of slices of deli meat. I'm not going to do it just to hide my cravings. But I think part of the problem is that we're not used to saying no, right? Disney has kind of raised us to, to follow our hearts, right? Like we, we, we can't, like, like never even considering whether our desires are actually right or, or, or a good thing. And, and our desires, like I can't help how I feel. And, and, and so you like do what you want to do. You got to be true to yourself. And, and, and the message that, 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 that we're seeing in our culture, everything's on demand, everything's instantaneous, and it's buy now, do this. It feels, do what feels good. And, and so to, to actually, the, the idea of showing restraint feels like irrational or, or maybe even oppressive. Like I'm, like I'm restricting myself from being who I really am. But see, being obedient to God's word means that there's a lot of things that for believers, we're going to have to say no to that. That's not right. That's not godly. Now, some of you uh, may have grown up in a culture where Christianity was kind of defined by no, right? Like, there's, like it basically all boiled down to this list of rules, all this, this list of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts. Like Christians don't drink and Christians don't go to movies and they don't dance and they don't wear jeans to church and they don't get tattoos and they don't vote for one particular party and they don't mow their grass on Sunday and they don't listen to good music. And all these, all these don'ts, these things that you're not allowed to do, you say no a lot and it's any number of rules. And the problem is, uh, the, the, the danger of legalism is that I, I start to see my standing before God based on my performance. Like I've got to keep these rules in order for God to be happy and accept me. And that really just leads to despair because most of us are, are pretty terrible at actually keeping all of this stuff. Or, and actually more often, it leads to self-righteousness. Where we start looking down on all the other people who are doing all the bad things that we're so good because we don't do them, right? That's not living out the gospel. But if we rarely find ourselves saying no to anything, 
it's probably because we're flirting with sin or rationalizing it or compromising or maybe even celebrating it. We don't even think twice anymore about some of these things. You see, it actually does matter what's on your Netflix queue and what's in your Amazon shopping cart and what you put on the calendar and where you ask Google Maps to take you and what you do alone in the dark and what you do with other people and what you stuff into your mouth and what comes out of your mouth. So, so I, I realize that this is true for me, so I'm guessing it's a little bit true for you. There may be a few things that as you think about it, maybe some things in this week that you know that you've been engaging in and this has kind of been a part of your life that you realize, like, man, as a believer in Jesus, the gospel's teaching me I need to say no to that. Probably a little bit more no's that need to be happening than are. So the gospel teaches us to say no. But that's not the only thing it teaches us to say, okay? The second thing it teaches us to say is yes. Come on, somebody say yes. All right, there it is, verse 12. Now, we're not just saying no to these things like all this ungodliness and worldly passions, but we're learning to, verse 12, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. There's a difference that, that I'm saying no to sin because I want to say yes to being more like Jesus Christ. I want to be self-controlled. That, that idea has, I'm not, I'm not controlled by my lust. I'm being disciplined. Man, I'm getting into the word of God every day. I'm prioritizing prayer and, and, and time with my church and time with my small group. And I'm, I'm building these, these habits and these rhythms into my life so that I'm growing spiritually. I'm becoming more like Jesus. That's my goal. I want to see that happening in me. And I don't want to be controlled by these other things. And, and I want to live, it says upright. That, that word means to, to, be, to be righteous or, or just, specifically in the way that we relate to other people. I want to do good to other people. So I'm putting their needs before my own and I'm standing up for those who can't and I'm giving generously and I'm showing tangible love like I'm thinking about other people in the way that I'm living. But it's not just this, this horizontal uh, relationships. It also goes vertical. It's, it's learning to live not just self-controlled, not just upright, but also godly where I've got a reverence before God and I desire his glory. I'm pursuing him because I want to please him. I want to do what is pleasing to Christ in everything that I do and I want to be like him. So what he's saying is, don't just say, I love Jesus. Demonstrate, yes, I love Jesus by the way that I live. Because we've said before uh, that your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So let your life, let your walk say yes. I love Christ. Man, I want to get to know him. I want to pursue him. It's learning as, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, there's this principle of putting off and putting on. It's not enough to just stop sinning. See, that's where legalism just leaves you at this place. They're like, don't do these things. Okay, now, now what? But I want to put this off because that's not who I am anymore. And I want to be more like Jesus Christ. 
But notice he says, I want you to, to, to live godly lives in the present age, which I just think is Paul's way of just acknowledging the fact that he realizes this is going to be tough. It's going to be tough because you are surrounded, much like we are, surrounded by so much temptation and opposition to this. This is not going to be what you're encouraged to do by your culture. But we're learning to say no to sin and yes to Christ. I'm going to move on because there's so much more we want to see here. Here's the third thing that the gospel teaches us to say. It teaches us to say, come. It teaches us to say, come. Now let me show that to you, verse 13. While we're doing this, while we're learning to to say no to sin and yes to pursuing Christ, while we're living in this present age, we are waiting, he says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's actually the second time that, that we're seeing this word appear in this text, okay? The, the first one was in verse 11. That the grace of God appeared. That was referring to Jesus' incarnation when he came down. Which is why this, this passage is typically read liturgically at Christmas Eve. Because we're thinking about when Jesus appeared on earth as a baby, but we knew why he came. He came to die so that we could be saved by grace. He's just kind of uh, putting all of that in. He's saying it's grace appeared, but it's Jesus coming down. That's the reason that he was here. But now we come, verse 13, to the second appearing. This, this appearing is not referring to Jesus' first coming. This is Jesus' second coming. Let me tell you this. When you love Christ, you will long for his return. You will. When you really love Christ. I know some of us, we think about like, like Jesus returning. We're like, yep, I want to get married first. Like, I haven't even been to Disney World. Listen, when you love Christ, you will long for his return because that's when we're finally going to be free from the pain of this present age that he's been talking about. We won't have to deal with all the ongoing impacts of sin in a broken world. He's going to come and he's going to restore all things. Man, the gospel is a story of good news. It has a happy ending. Just, just, just knowing it, it, it gives us this blessed hope that Jesus is coming again and he's going to set all things right. Just imagine this. No, no more sin. No more pain. No more suffering. No more war. No more disease. No more broken marriages. No more children that are orphaned and vulnerable. No more hunger. No more oppression. No more death. And man, when, when you get that kind of a hope and you know that it's going to happen soon, what else do you say but amen? Come, Lord Jesus. Anybody fired up about that? Come on, somebody say, come. Come on. Like, like we can't wait for that to happen. But the reason that, that, that we're longing for him is it's not just because we want what he's going to bring. It's because we want him. That, that, that he is the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see that in the text? Man, like, I, I want him. He becomes my treasure. And that's actually how we fight sin. That's actually how we say no to things of ungodliness and worldly passions. It's not just by, like, like getting up my resolve, and I'm, I'm, I'm never doing this again. How many times have you put a stake in the ground and be like, God, I'm never going there again? 
It's not in your own power. It's not in your own strength. It's not in your own resolve. The way that we turn from those things and fight sin is by turning to a greater and stronger desire for the only one who can actually satisfy when we want Jesus more. Remember, it's grace that's, that's training us here to, to wait for him. Because he saved us even when we said yes to sin and no to him. But he still died for us because he loved us. Listen, Jesus is amazing. And when you see his glory, when we see the glory of our Savior, we actually become more and more convinced Jesus is so much better why would I give in to anything else? Jesus really is so much better than a couple of slices of deli meat. And the fact that I even have to say that out loud just kind of speaks to the stupidity of our sin, right? And, and the foolishness of, of being duped by its deception that I would ever think that anything could be better than literally the greatest thing in the universe. And so when the gospel is coming into our heart, we're hearing the story, we understand who he is, we're seeing his glory, then we come convinced that Jesus is so much greater and I want him, I long for him. And so I can look at sin and say, no, I don't want that. Why would I want that? I want you. Come on. Come, Lord Jesus. So, so we're learning to say no and, and, and yes to Christ, longing for him with eager anticipation and saying, come. But it also leads us, this is the fourth thing that the gospel teaches us to say. I think this might be obvious, but maybe it's important for us to hear it. It teaches us to say thank you. Verse 14 actually is, is God explaining the purpose and the results of the cross. This is why he wants us to say no to some things and, and yes to others. And don't you love the fact that he doesn't just end the conversation with, because I said so? Don't you love that? Like, I, I love the fact that he's going to explain a little. Like when, when your kids are little, that's all they need, right? Like, I can, I can get away with that with a few of my kids. Uh, like, if, if dad says it, uh, that settles it, right? Like, because I said so. But then once they get older, you kind of have to do a little bit more explaining and reasoning. Here, here's the difference. When, when God tells us to do something, that's all the clarity we need. He says it, that settles it. But, but we see his kindness in the gospel to explain more than just because I said so. He, he shows us why. He's giving us the reason and the purpose for what he did and why he's going to say to us, I don't want you to live that way. It's because, verse 14, because he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, meaning he paid the price for our ransom. I know it's kind of hard for us to appreciate this because most of us have never been in a situation where we've experienced this, but, but, but the, he, what he's saying is he set us free. We were slaves to sin. We were trapped like you couldn't get out. There's nothing you could do about it. You couldn't pay this. There was no way that you were going to set yourself free, but he did that. He bought us back so that we don't have to live in sin anymore. So the point is, why would we ever go back to that? You see, when, when, when we understand this, then we realize God's not being mean. He actually wants our best interest. That's what he's thinking about. When God says no, what he's really saying is, danger. Don't go there. Don't do that. I don't want you to get hurt. It's not good. I'm trying to protect you. You've been down that road before, and you don't have to be caught in that anymore. 
And some of you have felt that. Some of you have felt the weight and the sting. of. I remember days uh, when, when I was trapped in sin and feeling this like, overwhelming sense of like, I'm never going to get out of this. And to see the way that God rescues us and brings us out victoriously. And so when you say no to sin and yes to Christ, it's not rooted in legalism. It's gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you have set me free. And so then learning to, to say thank you is more, not, not just about like good manners, like we should say thank you for that, but it, it, it's being so in awe that God would be this gracious to me and set me free like this, that, that, that it compels me to live in light of what he's accomplished in my life. So he's showing us what, he, what he's done so that we'll know, man, we have so much to praise him for. But, but it's not just that, that he gave himself for us to, to, to redeem us from all lawlessness, but also, verse 14, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, that, that we would be his own possession. That's actually the same uh, language that God used when he brought his people out of slavery in Egypt and he met them at Mount Sinai. Remember that? Like some of you remember when we were studying through the book of Exodus. I'm going to show this to you, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, and I want you to see uh, verse 14 in your Bibles and, and, and the similarities here in verse 5. Here's what he says. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. You're mine. You belong to me. Problem is, they didn't do that. They didn't obey. They didn't keep the covenant. And instead, they defiled themselves. And, and, and really, the, the whole story is, as much as we look back on the Israelites, we're like stupid Israelites. Like, I can't believe they, they got that. But it's, it's teaching us what goes on here. It's proving to us that it's actually impossible for any of us to be pure or to purify ourselves once we've become impure. And so notice verse 14, it's God's work. We don't do this. He does it. He is the one who purifies us for himself. We don't do that. He does that. He makes us clean through his son's blood shed for us so that we become his treasured possession. We belong to him. But think about what this does. This is the basis of our identity. Man, you got to let the gospel settle your identity issues. We so often tie our identity to what we do, don't we? We start having conversations with people, and, and we introduce ourselves. We, like, tell our name, and, and once, once, get, once we get their name, and then, like, what's the first question that we're always asking somebody? What is it that you do for, what do you do for work? See, like, we're, we're, we're just tied to, like, what we do, and there's nothing wrong. That's, that's a part of it, because that's, it's showing, like, the way that God has wired you. But you have to understand that your identity is not first grounded in what you do. Your identity doesn't come from the title on your office or, or, or the degrees that are hanging on your wall or the trophies sitting on your shelf or the amount of money that you have stashed away in the, the bank account or, or, or even the positive sides like the, the, the number of Bible reading plans that you've completed this year or, or the number of consecutive days that you've gone without missing time in prayer or the number of people that you've led to Christ. Like it's not, your identity is not found in those things. Your identity is found in this, that you belong to Jesus that he has rescued you, that he's cleaned you up despite you, and that he's made you his own, and he wants you, and he loves you. And there's nothing you're going to do that's going to change that. 
I mean, what else do you say to all that except thank you? Thank you, Lord. So the gospel teaches us to say no. It teaches us to say yes. It teaches us to say, come on, Lord. It teaches us to say, thank you, praise God. And the last thing it tells us is this. Let's go. Hey, let's go. I I love how this ends in verse 14. We are a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Okay, so so you got to remember, before uh, Paul became Paul, before he got his name changed and and he encountered Jesus on uh, the road there to Damascus and Jesus changed his life, he he was a, a guy named Saul. And he was a Pharisee, and he actually described himself as zealous for God's law and the traditions of Judaism. But then God met him and changed his life, but watch what happened. All of his zeal, it didn't just go away. His zeal was turned towards the working for Christ. And you just feel the, the urgency to live in light, of God, in light of what God has done to us, what he's done in our lives, and to do what he's calling us to do now. Let's get after it. I remember when I was in Israel and Jordan uh, a few years ago. Actually, when we were in Jordan, we had this uh, Jordanian tour guide named Motas. And, and Mot- I loved this guy. He was so much fun. He brought a lot of energy to our group. And, and, and the problem is when you've got a large group that's traveling all these places, you're doing a lot of corralling, right? There's so many places. We've got a lot to go. got a lot to see. So, so sometimes uh, we, we just kind of want to hang out. And, and, and this, this, this place is cool. We're like checking something out. And we, just, we, just, we, we could be here all day. But he's like, man, we, we got to go. So he started, in, he introduced us to this Arabic phrase. Many of you probably know it. He would say to us, yalla, yalla. Yalla, yalla. You know what that means? It means hurry up. Let's go. We got to get out of here. <laughs> like, I, I love this phrase. I, I think this is what Paul is saying to us. Yalla, yalla. Grace doesn't result in laziness, but in zealousness to follow Jesus and to get after the work that he's called us to. Man, I hope you feel that here at Fairfax Bible Church. I hope you sense the energy. We're not just here just to exist. We are not here just to be comfortable. Come on, church. We want to live sent for the glory of Christ. I hope you feel the urgency into that. Let's go. We've got work to do so that God gets all the glory and that his kingdom is advancing. Anybody want to say let's go? So I hope you see the, the gospels, it, it impacts us, it, it's changing us. And obviously the question then is, 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 is this happening in your life? Are, are you seeing this? Are you seeing a difference now? Do you have some clarity around some things that I know like this week, I, I need to make some changes. There's things, some things, maybe it's in what you're watching, consuming, where you're going, what you're saying, what you're doing. Man, there's some things that I know that I need to say no to. I need to... Re- Renounce that. That has no place in my life anymore. Maybe there's some things that you know you need to say. Yes, Lord, I I know you're calling me to this. I want to pursue you. I want to be more like you. I want to be obedient to this. Say yes, Lord. Man, I hope that that you're longing for Jesus to come. And you're not so distracted and so busy that you really don't have a whole lot of desire for him. And we've got to get in the word of God that lifts our heads up above so that we can start to see, man, I want him. And when we do, the more time we spend in the gospel, we realize, man, we have so much to praise him for. Say thank you. And then let's go. Let's get after it. Let's live sent for his glory. Amen.
Father, I pray that you would do this work in us. We're so thankful for the gospel. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you, uh, nothing we do, nothing I, I did this week, nothing I'm going to do this week is going to change how you feel about me. It just makes us so thankful for Jesus. Thankful for what you've accomplished for us. And to know that you're doing this work in us. And I love the assurance. I love the promise. We run back to it so often because we need to hear it. That if you have started a good work in us, you are going to be faithful to complete it. You're not going to, you you finish what you start. You're not going to give up on us. So God, I'm praying God, we don't want to do these things because of guilt, but God, if, if, if you are convicting, if your spirit is moving, I pray that it would change some habits this week. Maybe there's some things that we really need to evaluate and get rid of in our lives. Maybe there's some things we need to be pursuing. Lord, I know that for me. Would you make us more like your son? And God, what a joy that you're going you're gonna to use us. And we got a job to do. We have a mission. We have a purpose for our life. And it's so much bigger than us. So much bigger than our comfort. And God, we want to make much of Jesus. So teach us to live sent and get after it for your glory. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.